0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports, because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We're going to be talking about some football and basketball stuff this week, including a little bit of a gut check on the first half of the schedule for the football team and some of the position previews that we promised last week in that podcast. But first, uh, three of us back together again. Uh, How are we doing, gentlemen? What's going on? Well, I'm not dead, so that's at least good. Yeah,
1: that's good. Last week. (laughs) last week i finally succumbed to the virus but you know it honestly it felt really bad one day and then i just like lost my voice uh, on all of the important days that i needed it like i was training a couple of people at work obviously we have our day that we record so you know that kind of sucked but i'm glad that it didn't feel as bad as the first night felt because
2: let me tell you that was some rough sleep oh my goodness yeah, we're definitely glad to have you back. Uh, we tried to replace you with a temporary extra host, uh, which was just clips of Coach Elliott for Media Day, which I think was really good. I'm glad we got the audio in. And certainly, I am looking to find opportunities to do that again in future podcasts as that's relevant, uh, even when David is still here. But certainly, it's nice to have someone else to go through a lot of the stuff because there's I got a lot to talk about with this football stuff and I didn't want to keep it all to myself I wanted to share in that fun as we're really really close I mean it still feels weird that we're less than 25 days away from toe meeting leather in Columbia South Carolina
1: honestly where did the summer go like I I, I know I say this every year because right there's like a a two-week period right after March Madness ends where I'm always like, dang, all right, well, football's next. But then, no, you got to get through college baseball. You got to get through kind of the rest of your spring graduation and stuff like that. But, like, in my mind, the next big, big thing is always college football. But it's not for another, what, four months at that point in time. And then you kind of look up and those four months are gone. Like, it's, you know, you get through – Memorial Day, you get through the 4th of July, you get through the first part of August, the dog days and it's just like, oh, crap, we're we're going to be listening to like the ESPN themes soon. Like it's 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 college football on CBS time Like let's go.
2: Yeah, although now that's going to be probably the Big 10, the SEC no longer Big 10 is going to be on everything but ESPN now, which was interesting. I the worldwide leader in sports is just getting completely like middle fingered by one of the major conferences where there's like, we're going to have deals with literally every other major network. Uh, but still brace myself for that CBS music hitting and it being like clips of Rutgers in Iowa, not the SEC. That's just going to be different. Like, obviously I'm being a little bit disrespectful there by mentioning not like the Ohio States and the Michigans that have been maybe the class of the big 10, but there's just going to be an adjustment and you, you know, with, uh, Brad, Le- Brad Nestler, and Gary Danielson coming and talking about you know not Alabama because it's not another, you know, Nick Saban playing one of his former assistants in a random October SEC conference game for sure. But enough about uh, enough about the power conferences.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, we've got some football of our own coming up, gentlemen, in just a few short weeks. So uh, why don't we go ahead and kick off the first segment of this week's podcast with the gut check of the first half of our football season here Uh, for a refresher real quick. First six games are at South Carolina on September 3rd. At home versus North Carolina the next week on September 10th. At home again versus Charlotte on September 17th. At home versus Coastal on Thursday night, September 22nd. At Army on October 1st. And hosting Georgia Southern on October 8th. So that is a pretty hefty slate of games. And I know we've got some uh, opinions about here, but uh, let's go ahead and uh, hear what you guys have to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, the opener, obviously, there's so many storylines just specific to this Georgia State team. You've got a host of big players for this team that are from South Carolina. You've got the coaches, including Coach Elliott himself, who have a lot of connections to South Carolina. You've got Jam Williams, who used to play at the University of South Carolina. And so you could tell when, when we talked to the players at the media day last week that there was that excitement that you get from playing these big games but it maybe even a, a little bit more because i think the guys think that they're bound for a good year and there are a lot of guys that have the connection to where it's a maybe an extra meaningful game and you know in a common theme i'd say for a few of these games uh in the early slate definitely the first two there's questions that exist for the two carolina schools Jordan State's playing right off the bat and that spencer Rattler is. Transferred in, really big transfer news. They got him some good weapons, including a guy that Georgia State fans would be familiar with, Corey Rucker, who played at Arkansas State and was a real deep threat for them. And another guy who Georgia State would have played, uh, a JMU transfer receiver, who came after having a really good freshman year last year for the Dukes in the FCS level. They added those guys. They've added some other guys. Rattler's obviously the biggest one of those names. And It's just a thing of where like right off the bat in game one after just one fall camp, it's a, you know, it's an open question of how they're going to look right out of the gate. And if Georgia state, you know, the same question exists for Georgia state, especially after how they started last year. So that's not to say that South Carolina is the only team that has questions in this scenario, but if Georgia state's doing at least what we know they do well and have done well in the past and controlling the ball, running it, hitting those chunks of yards at a time, like they were able to do in the first half against Auburn last year, not just against their conference opponents. If Rattler's a little shaky, if the connections aren't quite there, that's where Georgia State's window is in that game. Uh, But it's also worth stating the obvious that it's an SEC school that's got SEC intentions and able to recruit a lot of guys and land a guy like Spencer Rattler, who was very recently one of the top quarterback recruits in the country out of high school. And so... You know, you still look at it as a situation where George State is not going to be favored, but the first game jitters and the first game expectations are heavy up there in Columbia, and that's a factor. And like I say, we know Coach Elliott wants to win this one.
1: Yeah, if there's anybody that gets up for games in the Carolinas, it's definitely Coach Sean Elliott. Um, and I think that's where I want to start. Because you mentioned it like last year. Last year is really weird to look back on because it was kind of the tale of two seasons, three seasons, actually. I think there was an expectation for the Georgia State football team where, you know, like we I I think we predicted them to be what, 10 and two or something like that before the season started. Um, I I think you were a little bit more conservative at nine and three than I was. But like I had really high expectations for Georgia State they kind of did not meet them through those the out of conference slate you know kind of got slapped by app state as they do usually and so you know halfway about halfway through the season you're looking at georgia state and it's like man high expectations to this is probably not a bowl team very very underperforming level team and then they rattled off, I think, what six wins in seven tries, something like that. Only lost to one the seven West. of the
2: last eight, right?
1: Um, you know, the only loss being to Louisiana, which is the team that won the Sun Belt West and had a phenomenal season. So they won the Sun Belt. Excuse me.
2: Yeah, and it was a close game too. Obviously, it, right it, under it, the wire. It
1: it absolutely was a close game. You know, Georgia State was very competitive in that game, and I think it's something I've said. Since a, since I think the Louisiana game, and I think it's going to apply to the early part of the schedule, is Georgia State should be able to go into South Carolina and, you know, look them in the mouth, so to speak. Obviously, it's an SEC school. Obviously, there is a talent difference to a degree. I, you know, I'm very cognizant of that fact. But it is Spencer Rattler's first SEC game. It is you know, South Carolina is in a bit of a transition. And I think there are things that Georgia state does do well, that if they show up week one, you very well could have a situation like you had when Georgia state played Tennessee three years ago. And I'm not as confident at the upset this time. I, I, I was very confident in the upset during that game. And you know, I will toot my own horn for that, not even just because I made the joke about it, you know, before the summer started. I even up until that week, I was like, Georgia State is probably gonna win this football game because I just thought that they were a better team. I very much so believed in the quarterback. I very much so believed in the defense, and I didn't believe in Tennessee. I think South Carolina is a little bit better than that Tennessee team and a little bit better in SEC terms. Could mean that Georgia State could play a game like that Auburn game, be very competitive in the first half, end up losing, but you still walk out of South Carolina with okay, this is probably a good Georgia State team, and it's you know it's it's a tough schedule. We've talked about it since it, you know since we've heard about it a few years ago, and we've talked about it all summer. It's definitely a tough schedule. That's a a hard opening game to have to be like okay, here go SEC land, go do it. But if this is a Georgia State team that we think. If this Georgia State team is as good as we think they can be, they absolutely can win this game. You know, the the ab states of the conference will play these games and win these games. The Coastals, the last couple of years, go play these games and win these games. So, you know, I think it is absolutely is Georgia State's turn. It's just a matter of execution and, you know, getting off that bus.
2: All right. I mean, to be clear, Coastal play Kansas. Kansas is different those wins against power conference teams recently have been just literally Kansas, which you could write a book on the struggles Kansas had gone through. And then another book on the victories they've piled up against Texas. It'd um, be a really
1: short book, unfortunately for them.
2: But yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say Georgia state's also been part of that as well. Like you, Tennessee game we talked about, but also the Auburn game. It still was that down of the wire and really that just that last play was a split-second difference, Finley escaped, got the throw-up, guy in the back of the end zone caught it, and heartbreak. And then you go back to the Wisconsin game, uh, Coach Miles' last year in 2016. With the Washington game in 2014, uh, when that team wasn't very good, but one of the better halves they ever played under Coach Miles, I think that the expectation's grown to the fact that if it is a blowout, it's going to be a disappointment because that's – where they've set up their shop where it's we can go in and hang with these guys and even beat them and so certainly I think the expectation is going in there and competing and that's you know you the Wisconsin game was a shock and the Washington game especially was a total shock and you know the Tennessee game I think just because it was a two-win team the previous year there was a little bit of surprise there just how good they looked out of the gate but I think because of that game when they went in and played Auburn well it wasn't that surprising and so if they go in and play well of make it a game the whole time and make them fight for it for 60 minutes, it won't be surprising because that's what they've set up is what they're able to go do. And that is a step in the process. Obviously the wins are what matter most. There's no moral victories, but the only way to know that you're setting yourself up for success and to get over the game is if you're get over that hump and win the game is if you're in the game. And you know, that's, I think the expectation in saying that South Carolina has got a guy who's really good at quarterback and, they might be able to put up some points. Well, Florida State's been able to do that too. So certainly I think the expectation is to go in there and compete. And that's a good segue to the second game because um, I think even in hindsight, even with how close the Louisiana game was and how the App State game went away that no one wanted and it was a trend, I think the most disappointing and just the most ghosted performance was that North Carolina game last year. Uh, They were not really in it from the start. Uh, you got the little glimpse of happiness at the end because Darren Granger popped off a long run that was like, oh, who's this guy? Uh, and then he ended up starting the next week, taking the job for basically for good. And uh, But it was a blowout. You gave up 56 on the road. It didn't really feel as close as the final score even was. And it wasn't the same team that finished the year. And that's, that goes both ways. North Carolina was, I think, ranked or they just got knocked out of the top 25 when they played that game last September. They went to a bowl, but they limped into it, and they lost to the aforementioned south carolina team and Georgia State went on the run that David laid out, and so I think they played that game at a different time. Georgia States probably plays it a little bit better um possibly North Carolina is less lined up to play well because you know last year they were coming off of a pretty tough loss to Virginia Tech to start the year. They had a lot of expectations, and so. I think Georgia State got an angry UNC. Again, speaking of the mystery, I don't know what type of UNC they're going to face this year because they lost Sam Howe. They've got a couple of other guys they lost and some another team where you don't really know what team you're going to actually play until they line up on September 10th. And
1: I, I mean, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but it's a Georgia State home game. Like, I, I don't even think you mentioned that. Like, that is that is the coolest part about this. and. I really think that is a very good opportunity for Georgia State to just kind of you know, play loose, play the same physical style of football that they have been playing. You know, you're right. I think the biggest frustration that I have of that game last year is how little you can take away from that game. Sam Howell had an incredible game. I don't want to take anything away from him, but if you watch any of his highlights from that game, you'll see a lot of Georgia State cornerbacks just getting burned and getting burned in ways that they didn't get burned a single other time outside of the Abstate game, you know, like I think the long touchdown in the first half was against Jalen Jones. I want to say terrible, like terrible coverage. Just the guy who was bigger, faster, you know, more physical than him. You would be hard pressed to find him blow a coverage that badly. The rest of the way, a lot of the other blown coverages that Georgia State had was stuff underneath that just led to big plays because of good blocking from other teams. And, you know, the, the stuff like that happens like it's it, it's football. You, you know, you can scheme towards. You can scheme towards that in a way. And. You're right, you know, like what Georgia State team is going to be there. When UNC comes to Center Park Stadium, I don't know, like, I, I, I can be honest, because if it's the team that's going to run the ball a lot better than they did last year, if it's the team that's going to have more than 68 passing yards, that could be a Georgia State team that, you know, puts UNC on upset watch. They absolutely can. And I, I, it's weird because I feel like South Carolina is a little bit more of a known commodity just because Rattler has like, we've seen Spencer Rattler play football in college football. We haven't really seen the two quarterbacks that are going to probably the, whoever Mac Brown chooses as a starter for this year. haven't really seen much about them. Um, so I think UNC has a little bit more question marks, but just, you know, going off of last year and kind of, where the wins kind of stack up, I feel like you would think, oh, UNC is a better team, but they have more question marks. And I think because this game is in Atlanta, like that has to matter. I think, you know, one aspect that Georgia State needs to continue to improve on is, you know, being that dominant force at home. And I feel like it's gotten a lot better. Like, I I, I don't say this as a, oh, you know, this is not a good home football team. You know, I think after, what, 2015, when they went on that, they had that like, road winning streak to go get on to 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 become bowl eligible like i feel like lately they have been a much better team at home but at the same time though this is definitely one of those defend your fortress type deals and you know they really got to show up for this one
2: yeah and i actually shortchanged unc from last year it was 59 17 not 56 so i can't do that i gotta lay the uh final score as it entirely was full context uh The other part of that game and how it played out is because UNC got up big early, Georgia State couldn't really get into their offense. Uh, They were having to try and set up a little bit more of the pass game because they had to, because they couldn't just rely on what it was. And especially in the second half, right at the beginning of the second half, it was still game adjacent, shall we say. And then things got got out of control in a hurry. And... UNC wasn't great against the run last year as a defense, and they lost some guys. And they've got a starter who, one of the Russians, I think, Tamari Fox. He plays up front. Currently ineligible. Um, The ruling, I'm not sure if that's come out on him yet. But that was a guy that I think we highlighted in our preview of that game last year. And so that's a loss for them in addition to all the people they would have graduated. But Georgia State is a running football team, and because of the way that game played out, they finished with. 172 rushing yards. But that's not the sum total of Georgia State's rushing attack. They just didn't really get to get into go into a game situation that was going to exploit that. And so not letting it get a hand early and seeing if you can really run it against a power conference defense and assert yourself that way, you know that's the way that Georgia State's going to want to win football games against the big boys. And what they did for a half against Auburn last year sort of just... Kind of about showing up and, you know, not getting a sidetracked from that too bad. But just to bring up that, you know, last week when we had the pod, we were talking about the positivity and just the the excitement there was and just the, everyone believing in this team. And after the first practice, uh, Coach LA was pretty firm in being like, this was a terrible first practice. The focus wasn't there. We played bad last year and this wasn't, you know, we've got to be better than this. And we weren't in practice. I don't know how bad it actually was, but I will say that given how bad things started last year after there was similar excitement, it doesn't surprise me at all that Coachella is going to push that card to the nth degree and play up like making sure the mentality is right from the start because know, quarterback play wasn't that great to start last year. And that's why the change came. And it's not surprised that as that got a little bit more cleaned up, the offense was better. The wind started coming more, but it just wasn't clicking like it was mentality-wise to start last year either. And so that was certainly the UNC game. I remember after the game, just the press conference with Coach Elliott, he was just not at all happy. And he felt like they weren't ready mentally for a game like that. And so the challenge this year is going to be, in spite of maybe even more praise than there was heading into last year, being ready for that because, you know, we laid out that there's a pathway to winning either of these games. but. You play your cards wrong, and you play the way you did to start last year, and you'd be staring at zero and two right now. As we're heading into talking about the Charlotte game, and like that's not where you want to be. It's not, and you know there is a path where they're zero
1: and two, and it's not a bad zero and two, but it's still not where you want to be, especially given the aspirations that Georgia State has.
2: Yes, if it is like last year, where it's that an Army game replica and a UNC game part two danger danger will robinson not at all like disappointment severely because it would be the exact same thing happening two years in a row but if you're in a situation where you you know are within the spread both games and there's opportunities to win you know let the season play out like obviously the louisiana game last year stands out as like a real missed opportunity but i feel like it's a little bit less of one because you look at the rest of the schedule how they finished and they finished with eight wins Dominated the bowl game. And so, in perspective, it's still the game you need to clear to get to that top of the mountain and win the Sunbelt East. But, like, that game and the Auburn game maybe hurt a little bit less because the rest of the schedule went better. But, you know, this schedule is just as hard, and there's no guarantee it's going to shake out the way it did. And so, you've got these games that they're opportunities to get big wins. And it's also just opportunities to make sure you're going bowling again. Because if you're starting out 0 2, especially with another. A conference game with a team that beat you last year, in army, which we'll get to later, looming. That you know is a team that you know is good. That might be three losses, and then you've only got someone to play for in conference play. Uh, to say nothing of your overall goals of just winning the conference and having winning football and avoiding the same pitfalls you fell in the last year. And so, yeah, definitely the the manner of the games is going to be just as important because last year it wasn't until that ULM game really, that you got the mentality that you were looking for. And,
1: you know, I guess we can just segue that into the Charlotte game. Um it, uh, I hate the term must win, but, like, Georgia State's got to beat Charlotte. Like, there's no – Charlotte is not on the same level as Georgia State. They weren't last year. That, you know, that game showed. I think that was the first game where you really got to see – you know, I, I I remember saying it, actually. I remember saying I watched Georgia State play defense during the Army game, during the UNC game. And it looked like it was a good de- it was a defense capable of playing well. <laughs> I remember saying that specifically. And I think Charlotte was the first time last year where other people kind of saw it and was like, oh, OK, this definitely could be a defense that plays well. And they did play well, you know. They only gave up nine points, but it, you know, I, Charlotte struggled for those nine. Points. And regardless of whether Georgia State is two and zero heading into the Charlotte game this year, whether they're one and one, zero and two, they've got to find a way to beat Charlotte. Just because that's you know where where Georgia State wants to be. As long as they are healthy, they are definitely a clear step above Charlotte. And it's it's just going to need to be another one of those that are at home. They're, you know, they've been at home for the, the second week in a row by this point. You know, the high of a full stadium because UNC was there the week before is kind of gone. But, you know, it's the night game. we just got to take care of business.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're again hoping it's on a situation exactly like last year where it's like the must win of like you looked really bad in these first two games. So you need to win and also look better. But yeah, I think Will Healy's doing a good job building a Charlotte. Um, I think that they made Georgia State work for it as much as Georgia State made Charlotte work for their yards in that game. It wasn't until that Jam Williams touchdown on that just absolutely soul sucking drive Georgia State put together in the fourth quarter that this score was two two scores either way, and that was the final score it was twenty to nine. And it felt that the whole way. It felt like a battle, and with all that said, I think they're good. I think they're going to come in and give them a lot. It's a home game as a team you beat last year you are on paper a better team than you were at that point or at least the same. And, you know, it's just, you kind of have to, it's not a must win that let like, Oh, if you lost to Charlotte, this would be this great embarrassment. But it's like with the other things you have that you want to do, especially if you might be factoring in one or two other losses in that non-conference, just because the other games are against power conference teams or against good army team that just grinds you down. Like, Yeah. You've got to win your home games. You've got to win your home games against teams that you're going to go in probably as the betting favorite against. And yeah, that's, that's all there is to say on that one. I mean, we'll get into the Charlotte and who they are when we get to that point. But And I think that same would probably be true if they reversed it. If we were a Charlotte pod talking about Georgia State or any Belt team coming in and playing them in Charlotte, like you'd want to circle that as a game you can win. And that's just the way it is. When you're playing peer conference teams and you're hosting the game, if you're losing that game, you're dropping a real opportunity. And it's it might be the difference between a bowl or not, or it might be a difference between whatever. It, it's gonna make a meaningful difference to George State season if they don't win that game. And that's just the way it is.
1: It absolutely is. And you know, like let's not pretend like Charlotte doesn't have like a tough stretch right there either. You know, they host Maryland at home the week before they go to Georgia state, they go to Georgia state and then they go to South Carolina the week after. Like that's, you know, that is an incredibly rough stretch of games that they're going to have to go through. Um, but, you know, No, if you're looking at it on paper, you know, that's probably the game where they say, okay, you know, we're about to get into the teeth of our season, the middle of our season. And, you know, it's on the road, but that's an opponent that we want to match up well again. So Georgia State's got to be prepared for that. They've got to be ready for that because, you know, Charlotte's not going to just go away or anything like that. They're not going to fall over like Georgia State's going to have to play well.
2: And like, obviously, Georgia State's history bears out that you can't even call FCS games rollover games because Georgia State's had some trouble with some of those over the years. But Georgia State doesn't have an FCS team on the schedule this year. And so, even if you want to class those as games like you should win and run up the score during, there aren't any of those teams on the schedule this year. And so, this is your reprieve. And it's still a team that has gone bowling recently, just missed out on one this past year, and going to give you everything that you. Can handle and you know Georgia State doesn't have any time to breathe after that because on the Thursday after it's a home game so at least you're not having to travel anywhere but they hostal and it's the sunbelt Belt opener uh, the return of Sam Pickney after he transferred there uh, Thursday night game on national TV a lot of stuff going on there and obviously the last time these teams played Georgia State won it was the first time they beat a ranked opponent the last time these teams played at Georgia State it was probably the worst game of the last four seasons just complete against a good coastal team but not a team that George State needed to lose 51 nothing to at home so uh kind of a tale of two different games the last time George state's played coastal um and I think if they're going to meet the goals they want to winning this home game against coastal in front of a national audience is going to send the bigness the biggest signal that this is the state team that's going to make that type of noise.
1: Yeah, this will definitely be an interesting game because for whatever reason, the Georgia State Coastal games in Atlanta specifically are just very, very weird. Because the home, I think the homecoming game in 2018 uh there was was like a
2: coming up party
1: yes trey barnett had a huge game and i think dan had an opportunity to win it and he threw it to i think deandre champagne on the right no it's penny it was oh that's right that's right no it was was, there were there were two hit off his hands Mm -hmm. there was the champagne play before and then there was the penny play right after hit right off of his hands for an incompletion and the game ended um So hopefully this is a much this is a normal football game where Georgia State wins, you know, like relatively low stakes, low drama, you know, and a home team finally wins in this stupid series.
2: Yeah, it's still I mean, it was a good thing for Georgia State that didn't happen last year, but that is still to be taken. The the home team who wins this game for the first time, you know, if it's Georgia State this year will be the first home team to win in this head to head. And uh The Coastal is a weird team to talk about just because, I mean, McCall looms. He's been probably the best offensive player in the conference since he's been playing. In the last two years, he's been a force for Coastal. And we know that Sam Pickney is very good. And we know that he can offer him a real threat, especially, you know, down the sidelines. And he's going to test the secondary of Georgia State in single coverages. And he's going to go up and get catches... At the highest point, you know the catch radius and the uh, the way he high points balls, super impressive. We know what he does. But having said that, Isaiah Likely and Javon Hiley were both incredible and incredibly reliable options for McCall, and they had that chemistry down pat. And both those guys are off to greener pastures in the NFL. And I still think that even while we know that Sam is good and we know that McCall is naturally just a very gifted player, that does still weigh in my odds of just weighing up this coastal team that there's something to overcome there and then the other side of the ball like their defense has lost a handful of really big contributors for them and they took a step back last year like the reason they weren't the team that they were in 2020 is the defense wasn't as good as it was in 2020 and georgia state was able to get 40 points for two points in the game against them and You know, obviously last year McCall didn't play and that was a factor in the game. But the other factor was that Georgia State's offense was doing what it needed to. Darren Granger had the best game he had up until the bowl game. He got past that in the bowl game and uh, usurped that. But it was really a game where Georgia State was able to get into a rhythm offensively, killed the game away eventually, um, recovering that onside. But I'm interested to see, you know, like I say, it's going to be a measuring stick game for Georgia State because if they're able to win this game, it'll say a lot where they're looking. And I'm sure Coastal's looking at it and saying they want to be top dog again. And so this will be their conference opener, chance to go on the road and do the same thing. And so a lot likes in the September game. And I got to say, I love that the conference game is happening early. I love that it's a home game that you're hosting on ESPNU and just that it is against a team like Coastal. Like these are the games you sign up to play and it's gonna be exciting that early on. You know, you five days after having just played a game, you're gonna to have to get up and get ready for it. That's what division one FBS football is all about. I I mean no disrespect to
1: any of the teams that Georgia State will play after App State this year. I'm sure all four or five of them definitely can give Georgia State some trouble. I agree with you. I love that. For if, if we're just talking about the Sun Belt, Georgia State's three toughest Sun Belt games are right there, right coming out of the conference. Uh, the on out of conference slate, it's a little, it's sandwiched between like uh, Army and uh, wrapped around Charlotte a little bit, but they've got Coastal, they've got Army, they've got Georgia Southern. Tough, not because Georgia Southern, I think, is going to be. Competing for the East, but because, you know, rivalry game. And then they've got App State in Boone. That stretch of the season is going to tell us so much about Georgia State's season. It, it honestly sucks because, they, you know, they could be 3-0 and through that stretch. Truthfully, could. They could be 3-0 and through that stretch in Sunbelt play. And it'll feel like this great big win, but still got plenty more to go. You know, the, they'll have great tiebreakers if they are but does that actually mean that they're going to be playing for the Sunbelt championship? Who knows? They could be two and one, they could be one and two and it could be a situation like last year. I don't know, but I, I love, just like you said, I love that they're going to get that stretch of their season out of the way very quickly because it, it changes the whole feeling of the season in both good and bad ways to have it be done already.
2: And I talked about this when we Got the game times. So I'm not I'm repeating a little talking point here, but the army game I like because you have extra days after the Thursday game. The bonus the other side, the bonus of playing on Thursday rather than playing five days later, you get the extra couple of days. Um because Army, you do have a little more prep to do because they run the triple option and you've got to get ready for that. But I like it more than having the whole summer where you have to keep thinking about it. Like it's the good balance between You have all of this time, you have to focus on it. And just you get a couple extra days to recover and then you get ready for it. And, you know, it's kind of the like, I think that they are a better team now. And I think they were a better team last year than they were in 2019 when they played last. But I think it's one of those things where if Georgia State's not playing the way they did last time they played Army, like it is going to be a little bit of a dogfight. But the way they play and the way Georgia State plays, it, Lends itself to that. And it could be exactly like the 2019 game where Georgia State wins 28 21. No one ever gets out to a big lead. It goes all the way down to the final minute of the game. And I think that's the hope. And that's, yeah, I think that the non conference is definitely somehow tougher than last year, especially when you factor that this is a road game instead of being a home game like it was last year. But you know, I, I land on the side of I think it's a good thing. Like, as the schedule laid out, it means, like you just said, it is a tough stretch of games. And it's there's no gimmies, and you're getting challenged back-to-back games with Coastal and Army in different ways, in getting tested by different types of quarterbacks. But I think that Georgia State's gonna be all the stronger for it. I mean, the level of competition dipped for sure down the back stretch for Georgia State, but I think that playing those. Games they did earlier in the year definitely strengthened them up. And this year, you're going to hope for more wins than losses. And certainly, the Army game can't go the way that it did last year, like we were talking about with the UNC game. But I think that ultimately, playing these types of schedules is what you want to show you can do. And instead of the season opener, you're going to kind of know more about the Georgia State team this time when they're heading into this Army game and going to go up there and face a tough Black Knights squad. Yeah, I mean,
1: Georgia State Army is a very interesting series so far because, you know, I think Army, they got Georgia State, you know, kind of through a rebuild, transition phase, whatever you want to say, and then when Georgia State won, obviously, and then Army just kind of surprised Georgia State. and Like I said last year, like I just said, I felt like there were times during that game where I saw a Georgia State team play better than it looked like they were actually playing and I really feel like the this is a young defense this is a defense that hasn't played too much together recently still kind of figuring out some roles type deal this is the first game of the season I think that impacted Georgia State a lot more than the triple option impacted Georgia State. Yes, obviously Army ran all over Georgia State.
2: I'm not dumb. You know they I had that one. Say that I don't put any on the defense. The the offense didn't have the defense a shot. The defense held Army to a yards per carry on the triple option. Like they rack up yards because it's what they do, but it wasn't a dominant rushing performance like they do. Because and Georgia State was that, kind of ready for it. It's just the offense did not give them a shot. And that. I think that to
1: me is why I don't think that this game goes exactly like that either. Because if the offense is capable of moving the ball at all, which they couldn't last year, you're not going to have the defense play like 87 plays or whatever the ridiculous amount that it was. And like you said, like the defense played, Army puts up a lot of yards. That's what they do. But it wasn't an efficient a lot of yards. There was a couple of big plays, but I think the Georgia State defense did play well, despite what it looked like.
2: They're going to have to be ready for the passing though. The one thing the defense got caught when they played army last year is they got caught in play action and army got some really easy passes over the middle of the field that they're going to have to be ready for those passing looks. And, you know, army, that's what they do. They don't pass it that much. And when they do, they like to do, they do it as a chance to catch teams when they're just getting caught up, watching up, seeing all the triple action, flex bone stuff going on. And so, you know, it's obviously still a credit to them, but, if there's one thing for that game, the defense can certainly be ready for this time. It's that they're going to try and catch them like that in the passing game, and they're going to have to be ready for it. Um, And then the last one for this pod talking about the the gut check, where we're at with the schedule is the rivalry game. feels like a nice place to leave it off for part two next week. Uh, Georgia Southern coming into center park stadium on October 8th. And, you know, we've talked a couple of times now through this about teams. You don't know much about and, Honestly, Georgia Southern takes the cake with that because they're bringing in Clay Helton as head coach. He is instituting a completely different offense. You know, as far as we know right now, and we will know more as they actually play games, it is like not at all going to resemble any type of spread option. It's not going to be close to what Georgia Southern's run previously, where even if they got away from the triple option, as it's traditionally known, they've still run a run-first spread offense in recent years uh, to middling success. It wasn't churning really under the last staff. So you can see why they'd want to make the move. Um, It's going to be a completely different look. And we're just going to have to see how they play over the first month of season to really know what type of team they're going to be. Yeah, I'm kind of excited in a way. I don't know. Like I,
1: I, as far as I know, as far as, Most people who pay attention to this podcast know Georgia Southern has been a triple option team. So watching them actually be a, you know, stand, drop back, uh, you know, shotgun type offense just through
2: and through is just going to be very weird. Very weird. And you alluded you alluded to it earlier, the, you know, rivalry thing throughout the scores and all of that's true because, you know, the last two times, well, two of the last three times. Uh, Georgia state has gone to Statesboro and been healthy favorite. I don't remember what the lines were in 2017 or last year, but games they were expected to win and Georgia Southern, despite having the interim coach uh, really fought hard, both games actually was coming when they had an interim coach going on. Uh, But so that factor, you know, those games spell out for you. Like, even bad Georgia Southern teams have gotten up for that game and given Georgia State a fight. So even if they're going into this game struggling, you know they want to set the rivalry record straight, or right? The score, at least, in this series. Because I still, I guess we'll find out how Clay Helton defines if it's a rivalry or not. If he's going to keep up this ridiculous shtick that the last staff seemed hell-bent on being like, oh, it's not a rivalry. They want to be like us, and they can't be like us. Um, we will see. If it comes out that Clay Helton is like, yeah, it's a rivalry. They're an in-state rival. We play them every year in the conference. I will, Honestly, he will earn some respect points in my book because he's at least not lying to himself. And that'll at least be like, maybe this guy's judgment's pretty good. Maybe he's a good coach.
1: Not a ton of respect, but I, a little respect. He can, he can have a little morsel of
2: respect. Yeah, Different kind of respect of being like, this team plays the right way, yada, yada. I just love them so much. Um, but like respect and like, he's at least paying the rivalry, the obvious amount of what it needs to be paid. Um, they got Kyle Ventrice, uh, at quarterback, who seems like he's going to be the de facto starter. He was there at media days. And that seemed like a pretty big indication. Uh, he was at Buffalo and he's got experience. And so, you know, you look at it and Helton at least has his, year one quarterback where he's not having to convert someone who is recruited to play a completely different style. And so that might help them along the way. We'll see how Vantrese is by the time that game rolls around and scheduled. But yeah, I mean, I always feel like it's a cop out and I feel like we're going to do this every year. We do the schedule breakdown, but like the rivalry thing plays a factor. Like if Georgia state goes into this game, perfect record and Georgia Southern goes in this game still undefeated, it's still not going to be where you can look at it and just chalk it up as a win, because that's not how these games go. It's it's what makes people like rivalry games in football. It just, it happens. It's an innate thing. You can't define it. And without just being a cop-out, like it's the one that we're going to know the least about. And even when we know more about that Georgia Southern team, we're still not going to know enough because that factor is still just lurking in the shadows along with the football gods.
0: So let's go ahead and move into the second part of our football discussion this week, which is going to be some position previews right here, live on the pod. We've got uh, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends and offensive line to discuss with you today. So gentlemen, let's go ahead and start off with quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, this is weird territory for us because we're in the same situation last year where there's an entrenched starter that won the job and, you feel good about but last year that didn't last a month quad brown came in and we had a lot of positive things about quad to say and we thought that he was going to take the next step and talking four-year starter for the first time at georgia state and by the charlotte game he wasn't starting anymore and darren granger took that job and really made the position his own and offered stability that georgia state needed offered run ability that georgia state needed from their quarterback and solidified everything. Georgia State wins eight games. Darren played his best game of the year in the bowl game, as I said earlier, against Ball State. And so it's a weird place to be in because a lot of the same things we were saying about Quad, he had a good bowl game too against uh, Western Kentucky and the people Bowl in 2020. And so it's it's not getting over our skis too much and being like overly professive of, like, this guy is it because that blew up on our face last year, but... You head into this game, you head into the season knowing what Darren Granger is. And the other thing that's underrated is that you heard Coach Elliott, and he's even through last year, but he said it in media day as well, that the character, the positivity, the leadership that Darren has is feeding into the team, and he is making it his team. And I think for as young as Quad was, and as he was still learning a lot on the football side of things i don't think he necessarily got to do as much of that and it's a hard thing to do but i think that darren came in and started that from day one probably even before he was even the starter on the depth chart he was just that's who he is and it started guys liked and responded to that and so if you're looking for a difference i think he's really taken that mantle on and that is at the end of the day what a quarterback ends up being more than anything it's just the leader of the team and i think that darren has got all of those qualities in spades for sure. That chemistry, you
1: know, you didn't mention that word specifically, but that chemistry is something that I think we have seen it from players and how they interact with Darren outside of the field, you know, on the field, you can see it, you know, the connection that he's developed with Jamari Thrash, Jakai's Cradle, you know, kind of getting it into like Kadarius Thompson as well by the end of last season, you know, there, I don't, I don't want to use this opportunity to crap all over quad, brown because i think quad brown was a very talented quarterback but i think one thing that struck me immediately when georgia state made the switch last year was how many people were so effusive of their praise of how granger carried himself and that kind of connection and chemistry that he had with some of the people that he was going to be throwing to and you know yes obviously there were offensive struggles That it was uh, you know A big stretch where Darren wasn't able to hit, you know, very easy throws and wasn't able to, you know, make more than one read and, you know, things that normal quarterbacks, especially guys who are good at runners struggle with. But, you know, I think you hit it. I think you said it really well. I I really can't foresee a huge quarterback battle unless we're getting a version of Darren Granger that just was not there by the end of last year. You know, he was a very competent quarterback and, you know, more so than that, he was a very good quarterback by the end there, you know, the decision-making in that ball state bowl game, you know, by the end of the season, his decision-making his deep ball looked a lot better. You know, he, it, it, Obviously, he wasn't a guy who threw a lot of interceptions or turned the ball over a lot, but you know he was a guy who was going to hold on to the ball if he couldn't scramble a, a lot. And there was some pretty untimely sacks earlier in the season, but by the end of the season, that you know that wasn't the case, and that's
2: really what kind of spurred Georgia State's offensive turnaround. The, the other guys to mention, just because we're talking about the quarterbacks, is you know Makili Caliserto still there? Feel like at this point might be easy to write him in as the second. String just because he's been here longer than the guy who's probably the third string, and that's Steven Krajewski, who's the newest member of the quarterback room transferring in from UConn. Uh, Keelan Brown was a Memphis transfer. He hasn't really hit it off to start. Like, we weren't really sure there was going to be a quarterback battle, but I think if he was going to be challenging Darren, we would have seen and heard a lot more about him in the spring, and it hasn't really clicked for him yet. And, you know, we'll see what that is going to be in the future, but. I think that's the other part is, and I've said this, I know off air. And I think on the pod as well, that the person who's going to beat Darren for the job is going to be the di- the guy's just head and shoulders, beating him at the stuff like the throws downfield and completion percentage and just big plays, what have you. And right now I think that Darren wins the job because he's doing everything at least pretty well and room to improve, but he is not losing you games. And, You know, as of yet, because he stayed the starter, I think we can just assume that no one has taken that step to where they are just head and shoulders better than him. And that's why you're rolling with the guy that you know is going to keep you in games.
0: So I think this is probably a good time to go ahead and address a question we got this week from Carlos, who asks, do Darren's accuracy numbers increase through the air this season?
1: I think so, Carlos. Thank you for the question. I think so. I think the best version of Darren Granger, the passer, is somebody who's shown on the field this year. And the reason I say that is because there were a lot of times last year where you definitely could see the talent. You know, I don't want to just take away from the bull game because there's so many things that go into a bull game. But you know, you watch the Darren Granger after about like halfway through the first quarter in that game and I mean, that was a quarterback. That's the quarterback that everybody keeps saying Grayson McCall is. And you know, this this isn't I'm not disrespecting Grayson McCall. He's a very good quarterback. But I'm saying that the decision-making was on point. The deep ball was really good. He was a guy who affected, you know, you had to honor his legs. And, you know, when you get sucked in with his legs, oh, dang, he can throw that ball just right behind you, right where it needed to go. You know, the short passing was there. The long passing was there, like I just said. So there's definitely still room for him to grow in terms of his accuracy. And, and I think the the accuracy claim is kind of funny because the accuracy isn't... Can Darren Granger make the 5, 10, 15 yard pass? No, that's not what it is. Can he make the opposite hash pass? No, that's not what it is. It's simply, is Georgia State having to force him to throw the ball downfield more? And can he make that pass? And I think there were a lot of times last year where it was like, yeah, you know, he's got Cradle there and Cradle's going to make a nice catch. Yeah, you know, he's got Jamari Thrash there and Thrash is going to make a nice catch. But there were times where he was trying to force it a little bit to Sam Pinkney when he was healthy, trying to force it to Cornelius McCoy when he was healthy, and it wasn't there. So I think those passes are the one thing and the biggest area of emphasis that the coaching staff is probably going to be like, okay, let's improve these because that completely changes the dynamic of the offense for Georgia State.
2: Yeah, I mean, basically what he said. Um, I'd also say the bowl game is a good example because 81% completion, uh, if he just replicates that in every game this year, he's going to improve the numbers by a lot. It's going to be a crazy Turner. Um, But but joking aside, I think that you saw one in the bowl game as the example. Again, there were some really beautifully designed plays that got to some really easy looks. And there were other plays where just Darren got in a rhythm and he was making some throws and some of the tight windows he got in that bowl game was really impressive throws. And I think that's part of it is just getting settled in and, So there's two parts of it for me is that one, he is the starter and he's knows the offense and he's going to have gone through this whole uh, spring and fall with new OC, even though it's a new OC, it's not that different of a scheme. And so a lot of it is just, he's going to be more comfortable and he's going to be more comfortable with the guys. He's going to have worked with the ones exclusively. Whereas, you know, I think they probably overlapped with guys like Jakaius Cradle as he was going through fall camp last year because they would have been rotating. They would have been settling out who was playing in what spot in the wide receiver rotation. But like, he didn't have the set chemistry with all the guys who were starters like you would have hoped because he wasn't a starter and he wasn't getting those reps in practice. And that, that has been him through the spring, through the fall now. And so you'd think that that's going to be there. And then the other part of it for me is that Trekman Knight is the new offensive coordinator. And I think that the identity of the team is going to stay very much the same. It's going to be run first. It's going to be a lot of the same of what Coach Elliott's wanted to instill. But Trent McKnight's a wide receiver's coach, now the quarterback's coach. He's got passing game coordinator in his resume to previous stop. And that's the position he was going to take here uh, if the hierarchy had stayed what it was before he was named the OC. I think it's possible he's got some ideas like with the bowl game where there were some really nice easy throws for Darren. Like if he's able to bring something to the passing game, it might not be that it becomes the Georgia States a passing offense, but he might have new ideas to get some easy throws, get some rhythm throws, get Darren going in games. And that's how you jump up. That accuracy is getting six, seven in a row where it's just easy throws open receivers getting yards down the field. And I mean, I feel like the next place to go, the running backs, is also probably just the easiest to talk about because the guys they are going to take the bulk of the carries, Tucker Craig, Jemias Williams, they are coming back and they both had tremendous years last year, a real veritable thunder and lightning for Georgia State and kind of two different equal paths because it's like Tucker worked his way up from being a walk-on, playing special teams, got on scholarship and just worked for everything. And Jam was a heralded recruit at South Carolina, had to come here and change positions from the secondary to running back and worked hard, worked his way up through not getting that many reps in games to being one of the co starters on this 2022 team and last year in 2021. And, you know, like we just said, like I just said, Georgia State's going to run the ball. And the reason they're able to do it as effectively as they have been is the blocking, but it's also that. There's two talented running backs spearheading this effort that really know how to follow their blockers when they're able to pop the big runs, and Tucker and Jam have done that in Spades over the last year.
1: And you know, it, I I think we could spend an entire pod talking to those two guys, but I want to highlight two guys who are behind them who I feel like we're going to see a lot in both. The fact that Georgia State is probably going to be, you know, rotating in these two at various times. And, you know, if there's ever any blowouts, I think Casey Adams and Marcus Carroll are going to get a lot of work. You know, they're third, fourth on the depth chart, you know, whatever Coach Elliott sees them. But, I mean, Adams was an all-state runner last year. You know, I think he had the best rushing season in South Carolina history. Like that type of rushing Video season. game numbers. Yeah, like I and I I know people say that all the time but like we're like we are truthfully talking video game numbers. And I mean, you know, Marcus Carroll was a really good third option for Georgia State last year and I don't think there's any reason to believe that he won't be able to do that same thing this year. You know, I think there's this idea that Georgia State kind of just runs a two headed system, and you know, yeah, Carroll only played eight games last year. I get that, and you know, he didn't have any. He he never had more than ten carries in a game. Okay, I get that, but he's too good a runner. KZ's too good a runner. You know, they're going to be rotating those backs out there, I and mean, I think you very well could see a situation. I'm, this is my official prediction of the podcast here. You know, you're going to see a Tucker, you're going to see a Jam. Both are going to go for over a thousand yards, but I think you're going to see Carroll and Adams combine for a thousand as well. I'm 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 putting my stamp
2: on there. Right, that is a hefty prediction. That is a it is that is a lot because Darren also runs the ball. So you're laying down like just four guys are going to have collectively like thirty six hundred rushing yards. Correct. That's you know. A lot. And I'm not saying, look, Georgia state's redefined this team as a running team. And it wouldn't surprise me if a stupid, crazy rushing season happens like that. And it's a lot more of a job for jam than it is for Tucker, but both Tucker and jam can get to 2000 career rushing yards at Georgia state this season. And, uh, Tucker can pass Trey Barnett pretty easily as well if he stays healthy for the most rushing yards in career history at Georgia State and I just say that I feel like that is just like the perfect emblematic passing of the guard there with Tucker being the guy who has that record for Georgia State with what Coach Elliott's wanted to bring in and how he has worked so hard to get to where he's at and so obviously it's still before the season we don't know how it's going to play out but if that happens, I will feel it's very just a very awesome thing for him to have happen. And you're right. I, I'm i not underscoring that three and four on the depth chart are very good. I look at it maybe more of a thing of if something comes up and someone has to make a spot start or whatever, I feel like you'd feel pretty comfortable about where you're at with the running back room. Whereas I don't necessarily see it as getting that much deeper. Like as long as Tucker and Jam stay healthy, I think it'll kind of be the them show because They rotate really well. They play off each other really well. There's times in the game where Coach Elliott's going to want to rely on Tucker on every third and fourth and short. You know who's going to be getting the ball and the defense knows who's going to be getting the ball and it probably doesn't matter. Other times we're taking advantage of Jam being as quick as he is and just hard to pin down is going to be useful. And so I think the carries for me won't. And Darren. The other part of it is Darren's basically a third running back with how many times that the quarterback runs the ball in this offense. But you're definitely right. And I will be interested to see if they're finding packages to get them on the field, because that might be a way, if you feel like you trust Tucker and Jim to run the show, but you want to run like a one package where you get KZ out there, if they're playing in special teams, uh, that would be where I'd be looking to see for those guys. But that isn't me disputing that they could still be a factor on the 2022 team. I just think it might be in a different way than you do. I'm not laying down big predictions like you. I, I'm not putting my money where my mouth is at least with this at this point
1: got to be bold here on the Thursday night podcast
2: got to be bold and uh you know next up talking about I guess for the purposes of brevity we can maybe group wide receivers and tight ends together as just a pass catcher group and for this stat I will just say that this is wide receivers only but this is something I came across and looking for looking into research for this year, Talik Williams had a 66-yard touchdown catch in the dying moments of the App State game when it ended up being a heavy loss. That was the only play a receiver caught the ball 40 yards or more last last season. And so I think with the wide receiver group is pretty simple this year. It's just they've got to be more explosive. However, they can do that, whether that's turning a little five-yard catch into a 30-yard catch by making a guy miss or whatever, if it's the downfield stuff kind of a give and take between you know darren making the throws and the receivers being open and catching them but like georgia state's gonna make their money running the ball and the difference for georgia state offensively is going to be who is making the big plays and if guys are able to make plays in the passing game downfield it's gonna open a dimension that hasn't been there in the passing game the last couple years reliably you, you could say
1: i think oftentimes when darren was struggling with sacks last year a lot of them were covered sex and i don't think that's it is fair to solely put that on the hands of the receivers but i think you're right there were times last year there was a level of explosion that just was not there for some of these receivers. And and I, I think the talent is definitely there. Jakaeus Cradle, definitely a guy that can get open. You know, you've seen it with Kadarius Thompson as well. You've seen it with Jamari Thrash. But then, you know, there are some times where those guys aren't getting it open as freely. You know, I don't know if it's just the routes that they're running or if it's just good coverage. You know, I think it's probably a combination of both, but... That is going to be very important because a uh, oftentimes that quarterback accuracy, like you said, it is the quarterback being able to make the throws, but sometimes it is the receiver being in the throw window, as they call it. And, you know, if you if you're a receiver and you can't get open until four or five steps after the window, it doesn't matter what the quarterback does. The ball's not going to be there when it's supposed to be there, or he's going to have to hold on to it so the pass is wobbly and you know, we're kind of getting into the X's and O's here, but at the same time though, I think uh, a higher level of explosion for these wide receivers is definitely something that I hope has been worked on. And I hope, you know, kind of translates into some better passing numbers for the team this year. Uh, because if there's one guy who's probably going to have some explosion, it's going to be Aubrey Payne, old man Payne. You know, I know we were just talking about the wide receivers. The last
2: right. ride. <laughs>
1: we've we've got to mention the tight real, ends the here. Yes, the last ride for real. Wink, wink.
2: But I, it's a great security blanket for Darren to know. I mean, he's one of the guys that you, when you're talking earlier about the connection, very obvious that Darren and Aubrey love playing together. And you know, especially after a couple of those games last year, definitely that was strong, strong connection because they had some multiple touchdown games, you know, as Aubrey is one to do. This year is going to be interesting for me at the tight end position just because he's going to be a guy you're relying on, but Roger Carter left and that is a loss. And it's not just about what Aubrey Payne is able to do on the field, but it's also what Aubrey is able to do for the next generation. You know, guys like among Green, Chris Bird, junior college transfer Rakeem Lacy, or Rakeem Laney, which he's kind of a, we'll see where Laney ends up. I think he's got the size where he could play inside. He could be like a tight end, maybe even like an H back. I think he was a receiver in junior college. So the pass catching you think is going to be there. And so I'm interested to see how he gets used, but you know, jokes aside, like this will be the last year that Aubrey Payne can be at Georgia state. And he and Roger collectively have made it to where tight end hasn't really been a worry. And that goes even deeper into the blocking that the Titans are asked to do in the offense. And so, you know, if this is a year where Aubrey isn't nearly as the focal point as maybe you'd think with uh Roger being gone, but it's because someone else steps up, that would be an encouraging thing. And some of it we might not see. You know, it might be a normal season like we see where Aubrey is the guy. And we see we don't see the behind-the-scenes stuff where guys are Continuing to develop and next year it comes. But that is just as important to me this year as what Aubrey does on the field. It's just like it's it after this year for him. And there's talented guys on the roster that are going to be following along with him. And there's a spot that's open. We know Georgia State loves running two tight end sets. And so I'm interested to see who it is that takes that spot next to him that had been Rodgers the last few years.
1: And that'll be important. That development absolutely is important because, you know, like you said, this is it. Somebody's got to do it next year. So, you know, somebody, who whatever information you can glean this year that'll be really helpful in, you know, kind of setting your offense or, you know, kind of informing your recruiting next year, that, you know, that's that's what you you want to see. You want to see somebody step up. So I, I look forward to the competition because I'm sure we're going to see a lot of these guys. You know, I don't think there's a, a set specific number two kind of in the way that, Aubrey and Roger was a one and two last year I don't think there's a specific set number two I think we're gonna see you know some of these guys rotate in and out you know for most of the year unless until somebody just kind of takes that position and kind of runs with it
2: and you know it's the biggest position in size in number of people on the roster but offensive line is probably the least questions outside of maybe running back does on the offensive side of the ball because we know it's what Coach Elliott coached before he came here. It's What he, above maybe any other position, wanted to remold from what was a pretty rough spot when he got here in 2017. And that's happened. And it's a deep room. And aside from just being a deep room, guys keep coming back. You know, you're getting extra years with guys. And now that's the case where you're having four of your five starters back. And so where are the one spot gets filled I, I spent a lot of time talking about the possibilities on last pot about who's playing left guard is it going to be maybe travis glover sliding over we'll find out um so i'm not going to spend any more time on that personally but you know what you're getting this is a chance for this group especially with all the guys they come back to kind of end the questions be like we are the best offensive line unit in the sunbelt which is a lofty title to get to because there's some good groups and uh it's another group that I think has the chance to do that. A lot of experience coming back, and we know they're going to be counted on in this offense to do a lot.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I I I can't sing the praises of this group enough because it really does change a lot of what Georgia State wants to do as long as this group is humming. And, you know, for the past few years, they have been – a wall they have absolutely hummed and you know the the losses that Georgia State have had at times it's just because guys have been able to beat them but it doesn't happen often you know Uh, that Auburn game completely changed on its head when Georgia State's offensive line started being a little tired and you know Auburn was able to get some of their defensive guys who had to sit out the first half out Um, but yeah like this is a good group it probably will be another good group and it'll be interesting to see like you said who fills that left guard position.
0: All right. So we'll be back next week with more of the football position previews right here on the pod. But before we get you out of here this week, we did have a basketball news item to discuss very briefly. And that is there's another home game scheduled this time with the Mercer Bears for November 15th in a return game from last season traveling down to Macon. So uh, another quality add to the out-of-conference slate for the Panthers in the brand-new Convocation Center this fall. But that's all the time we've got for this week. We will, of course, be right back at it again next week with more discussion on all things Georgia State sports. So keep tuned, and we'll see you next time. Go Panthers!